All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined by my hearty, hearty co-host. <laughs> Sorry, Kizia. I give you an uplifting uh, you know, adjective hearty. in a week. Wow. I mean, hearty, I can take that a couple different ways. I can take it like beefy, like I'm looking like overstuffed. Uh, or I could take, you know, hearty, like ready to ready to fight. Look, we, we, we need to all be hearty given what's going on. You know, I, Michael, I don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I mean, there is just nothing. It's hard to, to make you spit out your coffee. <laughs> there's, there's nothing going on yeah. in markets. I mean, so anyway, so I just quick, quick review. So I, I, I should be wearing my Rothschild red pants today I, because I, there's blood in the freaking streets. But I, no, I, Bitcoin needs a friend. So I'm wearing the orange pants, but I am wearing the chancellor on the brink of a second bailout for banks, the Genesis mm-hmm. block uh, socks today. Because there's going to be a bailout. Uh, it's going to happen this weekend. And, um, you know, I, I tweeted at, at Senator Warren and, and, you know, the rest yesterday about, you know, explain to me how JP Morgan lost more yesterday in market cap than Silvergate Bank was ever worth. Mm. So Silvergate at the peak was 16 billion. Today it's like 100, 100 million. At the peak, 16 billion. And JP Morgan lost 19 billion yesterday. Silicon Valley Bank lost more, 75 times more than Silvergate did yesterday and is losing again this morning. So uh, help me understand how this is a crypto problem. This is not a crypto problem. This is a good old fashioned bank run. And you have, and I use this term affectionately to my brethren, idiot venture capitalists out telling their portfolio companies to hurry up and withdraw your money from Silicon Valley Bank. Has anyone ever studied the term bank run? Mm. That, that is what a bank run is. So this is, this is how problems start. And if you go back, the last time we had this was in the global financial crisis. And I remember it well, you had a company um, that on uh, Friday said, we are fine. Our liquidity is excellent. And on Sunday, they were taken over by JP Morgan and they opened up Monday down, you know, 80 some odd percent. And that was Bear Stearns. And then the whole global financial crisis started. So I, I think we are... Uh, perilously close. And do you, did you see the chart that's going around on yeah, uh, unrealized equity, losses? Equity yeah, unrealized losses and equity banks? Yeah. I mean I've yeah, it's bad. I've, it's, bad. it's it's bad. Let's give let's give a little bit of a just just high level context here for what's going on. So on Wednesday uh, we announced so Silvergate. We've talked about that on the show before, but they've been in trouble for a little while. They failed last Wednesday. They failed to file their 10K, which was a big warning sign. And then on this this past Wednesday, so two days ago, uh, at the time of this recording, they announced that they were going to wind down operations and all all deposits are going to be returned to customers. But Silvergate Capital, which is the holding company for Silvergate Bank, is dissolving and and they will be no more. Um, unfortunately, the that timing. Uh, corresponded to, so they announced that on Wednesday, Silicon Valley Bank the next day had to announce that they had a $1.8 billion loss 
on sale of their securities. Now, I actually want to, this is, um, I'm sure most listeners of the show probably have a pretty good understanding of, of how banks work. But I want to, there was a really great explainer uh, that uses pictures. And you all know that I'm, I'm a five-year-old brain. So I'm actually going to walk, walk you through this here uh, just nice. so we can be on a level for, for, what's, for what's going on. Um, this was written by, I, I didn't know who this was before. His name is uh, Jesse Austin Campbell. So, so uh, shout out Jesse Austin Campbell. Wrote a great piece called How Banks Fail. And I'm going to take you through this with pictures. But what you're looking at here, if, if you're not uh, following along via video, is a very simple illustration of what a balance sheet looks like. So uh, my finance folks out there know when you're looking at a balance sheet that your assets equals liabilities plus equity, right? That's, that's a rule of, of balance sheets. Um, what that looks like with a bank is this. When I, I, I love the color coding, Michael. So you got yeah. green, right? Everyone knows assets are green. Money is green. Mm. You have liabilities, things you owe, red. And then you got the equity, the gold, right? Yes. That's, that's what, what you own. I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Ex exactly right. Yep. I think that was his thinking probably as well. So basically what happens when you put your dollars into a bank, what the bank then does is they've got two, two options at a very high level here. They go around and they need to generate yield on that. So what they do is they either make a direct loan or they buy safe and liquid securities. And those safe and, li safe and liquid securities are basically treasuries or mortgage-backed securities, right? What they also have, uh, so that's on the asset side of their, their balance sheet. On the liability side of their balance sheet, they've got deposits. So it's the money that you gave them. You could come back at any time and ask for that money back. That's usually fine. Uh, but they also have a bunch of money tied up in their loans and securities, right? Those that portfolio bonds that they bought or the loans that they made. So they can't really give that back immediately. So they've got this thing called a buffer, right? And that's their that's their uh, their equity, right? Yep. So well, I think the important point there, Michael, too, is this is why you know I've tweeted this out and I've talked about it forever. Um, when you put money in the bank, anyone listening here, anyone anyone in the world puts money in it, it's no longer your money. Mm -hmm. This this picture shows that. Yeah. It is the bank's money. The bank owns it. It is theirs. Mm -hmm. Now that's why the deposits are red. The deposits, okay. What what I think of that, right? That deposit, that's my asset. Yep. It's the bank's liability. It's no longer my asset. It's the bank's asset. But I own a claim on those assets. And to your point, most of the time, 99% of the time, those IOUs are money good unless, and Jesse will get so the 1%. That's exactly right. So now, okay, this is how a bank is supposed to work, right? So what happens when a bank goes bad? What are some of the problems? Well, some of the problems are, right, in this loans and securities portfolio, there can be damage, right, to some of the loans, which basically is in your direct loan portfolio, people don't pay you back. There's impairment on those loans. And usually banks have a reserve and they budget for that. So that's something that's pretty well understood. The other thing, and this is what's happening to, this is what happened to Silvergate, and it's what is happening to Silicon Valley Bank, is you could have to sell your securities, your portfolio of bonds at a loss if enough people want their deposits back all at the same time. And there's the rub. So two things basically have to happen at the same time for this to be a gigantic problem. One there needs to be impairment in the portfolio of securities, right? So these are like the safest, most liquid assets on earth, right? And that's so that's mortgage-backed securities and it's treasuries. So usually that's not a problem and you should be able to sell and basically you just 
you know, pay the spread uh, for, you know, the, the buy sell spread. And that should be fine. And you should be able to meet deposits easily. That is a, it's a bigger problem if there's correlation among these deposits, right? So banks, big banks in general are supposed to have a very diversified base of deposits, people geographically distributed, distributed by income, distributed across industries. So theoretically, there wouldn't be the need for everyone to pull all their money at once. They're very different people in different walks of life, right? The problem with Silvergate is that 90% of their deposits were all coming from the crypto industry. So when the industry compressed, a lot more people than they would have modeled out for asked for their money back at the same time. Now, usually even that's fine, right? Because these are very safe and liquid uh, securities in their in their assets. The problem is, is that when Silvergate acquired a lot of deposits in 2021, rates on the short end of the curve were at zero, right? So banks make money by borrowing short and lending long. So the only way that they could up their risk and their yield is to expand into longer maturity assets, 10 years, 30 years, et cetera. And those are the ones that got clobbered when the Fed started raising interest rates. So basically what happened is that Silvergate had to sell a bunch of their portfolio of bonds at a gigantic loss. And that same thing has happened with Silicon Valley Bank, but it's also happening broadly across the entire banking sector. So that is my my kind of explanation for what's going on with, with pictures here. Yeah. Um, that's great. It's a great explainer. And, and and it really is a a simple business. Banking is a very simple business, but it relies on trust. Yes. Right? We have to mm-hmm. trust that the bank is prudent in making loans, which mm-hmm. for the most part, they are. I mean, they actually are, but for the most part. You have to trust that they are prudent in their balance of securities and and loans. Something broke down there, though. So when foreign governments uh, rejected the U.S., for, for lack of a better term, and there was this alignment of the two axis in the world, and the Chinese stopped buying, and the Russians stopped buying, and, and Japanese stopped buying treasuries, and at the same time, we decided to increase our spending by handing out stimulus checks at all post-2020, what happens? Deficit, massive, trillions, four four trillion at the peak. Well, if you have four trillion of deficit that you have to finance, you have to issue more bonds. If you issue bonds, someone has to buy them. If you're a seller, someone has to buy them. Well, if there's no buyers, what what you can do is you can basically mandate that the banks buy your bonds. Now, it just so happens they need to buy these bonds, as Michael just showed you, because as the stimmy checks get sent out to individuals and tax cuts go to corporations, and they do something with that money, they put it in the bank. Well, when you put money in the bank, it creates demand for either loans or securities, bonds. The problem is everyone had a lot of money, so they didn't want to borrow any money. So commercial lending activity collapsed. Everybody was locked down. Nobody wanted to borrow money for anything. So oh, we just happen to have this surfeit of, of bonds that you can buy. Well, it just so happens that 
because we're not paying any interest on those bonds, you have this problem. And this is called financial repression. So when a central bank limits the amount of interest by artificially manipulating interest rate markets, you force people to go further out on the risk spectrum. Yes. Yes. That's Yes. A hundred percent. So I think the point that I want you and I to drive home here is because my worry, right? What I think might happen here is that Liz Warren has already come out and said this, right? Basically excoriated Silvergate and the executives there and tried to label this as a crypto problem. Here, I've got I've got a little chart. That I, I know. To, you know, it's so comical, right? I, it's so yeah. comical. This is the chart that you were talking about, I think, right? Unrealized hope, gain yeah. and losses yeah, 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 on investment yeah, yeah. securities. This is, yeah. the, this is the scariest chart. This is the scariest chart that, that might exist. This is, I mean, this is, yeah. this is a very scary chart. This is not great. So Mark, can you, can you kind of walk us through what we're, what we're looking at here? Yeah. So it, it's basically a, you know, a, a long-term chart of the uh, either accumulated gains or losses of the banking system. Mm-hmm. And, and what that means essentially, well, how would, how would you have a gain? Well, a gain would be you, you bought uh, an asset, right, a bond, and interest rates fell, and you have a gain. Or you bought some equity, and they went up. And usually banks don't buy a lot of equities, they buy a little bit of equities. They're not supposed to mm-hmm. buy a lot of equities, but they, do, they did buy some equities. And equity markets were rising. And so on the left-hand side of the chart, you see a lot of of yellow, uh, and it's above above the zero line. And there's a little bit of downturn, a little bit of fluctuation, but but generally speaking, banks aren't supposed to be taking lots of, of risk, risk right. in these assets because remember the asset liability mismatch. If if your customer can take their money any day, literally any day, intraday, you probably shouldn't lock up the money for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Unless you do it, as Michael said, in a very diversified way, uh, like if you lend to, for mortgages, okay, people aren't going to pay their mortgage back right away. But as long, again, as not everybody wants their money, and this is literally, this this chart is, is a precursor to the scene from It's a Wonderful Life, where everyone rushes to the building loan, and the one guy... He says, Joe, how much do you need? He's like, I need $220. He's like, no, no, that's all your money. How much do you need to get by through the week? He said, well, I, I need my $220 because I'm afraid. Well, Joe, your money's not here. It's in you know, Mary's house and John's house. And that's how banks work. The, the money's not in the bank. It doesn't sit in the vault. So anyway, back to the chart. So on the far right side of this chart, you see this, this cataclysmic, I mean, orders of magnitude, you know, four, five, six, eight times more losses than gains, that they're unrealized. And, and what that means is, as Michael said, as this massive wave of deposits came in, in 2020, 2021, even into early 2022, all these banks, I mean, Silicon Valley Bank, for example, went from 60 billion in assets to 180 billion in assets. Because there were a lot of companies formed, a lot of new businesses, there were a lot of ICOs, and people got all this money and they had to do something with it, so they they put it in the bank. And so couldn't make loans. So what they did they bought securities and they bought treasuries and government bonds. On top of it, there was this little problem 
last year that the Fed started liquidating because the Fed used to buy all these bonds. If no one else would buy them, the buyer of last resort, the Fed would buy them. Well, then the Fed started QT. So they started selling, particularly these mortgage-backed bonds. And guess who was there to buy them? Because they're government guaranteed. So the banks started buying them. Well, unfortunately, when interest rates go from zero to five, you could do math on a you know zero duration bond. You don't have a lot of loss. One year, more, two year, more, five year, 10 year. Whew. Now you're talking big numbers. And the problem is this: these bars on the right-hand side of this chart, basically, if all the banks experienced a run and everyone took their money out, right, to stuff it in the mattress, which is kind of what happened during the global financial crisis, which is kind of why the socks I have on exist, which is the, all the banks started to fail. Literally, all the banks around the world started to fail. And governments literally had to step in and bail them out and, and, and calm the panic. Because what, what this chart is showing is, remember Michael's chart, or what was the guy, Jesse's chart, green is good, red is bad. Not that deposits necessarily are bad, but that's a liability. It's something you owe. And then gold is your buffer. Well, what this yellow and green is showing those liability, those losses, that uh-oh, the gray from the, from the picture, exceeds the gold. When the uh-oh is bigger than the buffer, you're out of business. So technically, the banking industry is insolvent. And that's, that's a scary thing to say out loud. Now, it won't happen... Because not everyone is going to rush to the bank and take their money out. Okay. I'm right. not going to do that. I'm not panicking. And, and I hope listeners don't, don't panic. So we don't want to foment a bank run. But, and then there's the last piece, which is too big to fail. So in the last global financial crisis, you had a whole bunch of banks around the world fail. The Icelandic banks failed, a whole bunch of uh, European banks failed, and the U.S. banks, like Citigroup. Citigroup should have failed. Like literally, their liabilities exceeded their assets. They should have, have disappeared and been subsumed by it. And a whole bunch did, right? Wachovia Bank got bought by Wells Fargo right here in North Carolina. Um, First Union got bought, you know. Actually, there was the point. This is one of my favorite stories. I think I've told this story on the show before, but one of my favorite stories was if you think about that last global financial crisis, there was, there was the apex predator okay, at the top of the pyramid, JP Morgan. Shocking, I know. It's always JP Morgan. JP Morgan, apex predator. And so what would happen is every time there was a problem, whether it was Bear Stearns, Sunday night, there was an announcement that JP Morgan was going to buy the, the business. Um, Washington Mutual, Sunday night, announces they're going to sell. Guess who bought it? J.P. Morgan. And J.P. Morgan bought everything. But then there were these two investment banks, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, that were basically insolvent. 
and their CDS, their credit default swaps were going up 400, 500 basis points, and they're on the verge of bankruptcy. And, and the, the government said, you are now a bank. <laughs> you are now a bank and we will guarantee your deposits, but you have to turn yourself into banks. And this is my favorite part. So then another week went by and it was just this toppling of, of dominoes because they're all interconnected and they all lend to one another. And to make a long story short, Morgan Stanley was on the list. They, it was announced on a Sunday night that Goldman Sachs, the new bank, was going to buy Morgan Stanley. And John Mack, the famous tough guy president of, of Morgan Stanley, said, and I know this is, you know, R-rated show, fuck that. Not happening. I will not work for Goldman Sachs. He jumped on a plane. He flew to Tokyo overnight, woke up the chairman of uh, Sumitomo Mitsubishi Bank. The guy wrote him a $6 billion handwritten check. And the only reason I know this is a guy that I know really well was on the plane with him, put it in the briefcase that he was carrying. They flew back, deposited the Fed, and they bought 20% of Maury Stanley. They weren't taken over by Goldman Sachs. Maury Stanley still exists today. I love that story. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you all for listening to On The Margin. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up about a conference that we have coming up in the new year called Permissionless. I'm sure most of you all have been there last year. Uh, it is the cultural event of the year. We had over 5,500 people down in Palm Beach. This year, we are moving to Austin, Texas. You know what they say about Texas? Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> Uh, so last year, we had a really great lineup of speakers. We had the two co-founders of Robinhood, Vlad Tenev and Baiju Bot. We had Chris Dixon. We had some of the folks that have been on the show a whole bunch of times, Jim Bianco, Dan Tapiero, just a phenomenal lineup of speakers. And you can expect the same this year. If you use Margin 10, you'll get 10% off on a ticket. Again, that's Margin 10 because I love you guys so much. Click the link at the bottom of the show notes. Hope to see you there in person. <laughs> I love that story too. Let me Let me go on a... Let me try to connect some of these ideas. So you mentioned it's a wonderful life. You talked a little bit about banking consolidation there. Let me yep. let me again, just because I'm feeling like a monologue mood this morning, take you on a little bit of a history of banking. So I actually had a tinfoil hat for this, but I forgot it. So, you are good and you are prepared. So, look at this. Man, you're so I actually good. this was a newsletter that I wrote a little while ago, but I think it's I think it's actually highly relevant for right now. So what we're looking at at this chart here, this is the number of commercial banks in the United States going all the way back to 1965. If you're not following along via video, and this isn't totally current, I think it only goes to 2016 or 2017, but the number, it's a one-way trip down, right? So it starts at about 24,000 in 1965, and now we've got under 6,000 today. And I'm sure it's, frankly, it's, I'm sure it's far less even right yeah. now. There was, there's been 538 that have failed and and would you know continue to go down since the global financial crisis. So yeah. since you know 2010, 538. So yeah, it's yeah. much significantly lower. So the story of like what you were what you were describing and it's a wonderful life is a little bit of an anachronism, right? I mean, you look at that. I look at that in the movies. You know, people get dressed up in a suit and you go to your local bank. That doesn't exist anymore. That's that's not a real thing. And so the the regional model of banking has basically died. You know, and the regional model of banking, there were some real benefits to it with a local community, right? Like if you that exact word, the exact wording that you used earlier in this episode was, "Hey, your money isn't here; it's in Sally and Bob's 
mortgage. That's not how, it, mm-hmm. you know, at least then it was local, right? You knew Sally and Bob. Now yep. all those mortgages just get securitized and sold abroad, wherever. frankly, to, you know, wherever, exactly. So, that, but the story of, of banking in the United States and probably abroad as well has been one of consolidation over the years because what ends up happening is there are various financial panics, right? It was the great financial crisis that you were talking about back in 2008. Before that, it was savings and loan, but there have been kind of this history of financial panics and small crises in the US. What happens is regulators love when those banks get rolled up into one another. So going back to our example of the balance sheet, if you have a small bank, and a relatively big uh-oh, the way you can solve that is you roll that into a bank that has a larger, bigger green box so that uh-oh is a relatively smaller portion of it. And exactly. the, the equity that backs it, yeah, exactly. So if you look at this, this is a kind of a history of the bank merger rate going back to the 1980s through, uh, what is this? This is 20, 2011. And you can see it's a very high merger rate. It's higher higher than other industries and kind of trending in the upward direction for exactly the problem that we were talking about. The last thing that I'll say, the conclusion here, um, one kind of interesting conclusion as it pertains to access to capital is we're looking at bank lending to small and large businesses, 1995 to 2015. You can see that the small business loans basically hasn't moved at all since 1995, but the lending to large businesses is booming up and to the right. And the mm-hmm. reason why is because this makes business sense. If you have fewer smaller banks, it makes sense that you need larger customers. So the end result of this consolidation is that large corporations get much cheaper access to capital, much better banking services than small corporations. Now, let's put ourselves in the shoes of a small bank like a Silvergate or Silicon Valley mm-hmm. bank was pretty big, but one of these other banks. Well, how do you compete? against these giants, right, that have access to unlimited capital and all this other stuff. You go niche, right? That's what every startup does. You don't try to be everything to everyone. So you go niche in the beginning. That's what Silvergate did. That's what Silicon Valley Bank did. And that's why they're getting crushed right now because the only strategy that was available to them to go niche has also made them vulnerable in terms of concentration in their deposit base. And so I, you know, there's a lot of, again, kind of armchair quarterbacking, you know, and to me, I always like to put myself in the shoes of if I was on that management team, would I have thought much differently or try to understand why they made the decisions that they did? Everyone's saying that they they messed up and took a lot of duration risk. You know, when they got those deposits, like you were saying before, interest rates on the short end of the curve were zero, were zero. No, and, and look, here's the other part. In the absence of a panic and a mm-hmm. run, what they did on Wednesday, Thursday was actually smart. Yeah. Right? Because what, how a bank makes their money is what's called NIM, net interest margin. The difference between what they pay depositors on the deposit, usually a little bitty amount. In the old days, it used to be big, but that's when interest rates were much higher. And the amount that they charge their borrowers. So if, let's just say interest rates are are 1% and I pay depositors 1%, but I can make loans at 4%, I get a 3% NIM, net interest margin. Mm. Unfortunately, with financial repression, when interest rates went to zero, so you're paying depositors zero. So yeah, that's that's cool, right? People give me money and I don't have to pay them any money. In fact, there were even negative interest rates, right? Where people paid the banks 
I know. We're for just, the privilege no. of having them be quote unquote safe. And, but the problem was the yield curve was pretty flat. So you could only lend at a couple percent or, you know, my mortgage at one point was like down to three point something percent. And government bonds were 1%, one and a half percent. So here's the thing. If your NIM had shrunk to one and a half, kind of hard to make real profits. Right, right. And so what they said is, yeah, okay, we got crushed. We all collectively got crushed last year. Interest rates rose. We got these unrealized losses. But our buffer is right. good sized. It's good size because we're a profitable bank because we got good customers and we got lots of customers and we had this big growth. All right, you know what we're going to do? We're going to rebalance our stack, our green stack, and we're going to sell some of these short duration assets at a loss. And we're going to, because these used to be long duration assets, but now they're, they're shorter. And we're going to take the loss, okay? Which means we probably have to raise a little new equity to, you know, to cover that loss. But there's plenty of people that want to invest in us. Now, the existing equity holders are like, whoa, 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 then I get diluted. Okay, so you get a little bit of dilution. Don't panic. Okay, but, but here's the genius of it. Now you're going to take that new money and you're going to reinvest it at 4 or 5%. And now your NIM goes from 1.89, I think, that was their average NIM, to maybe three on that portion. And you keep doing that slowly, okay? But because, you know, freaking internet and social media and, and, you know, like I said, venture capitalists who shall remain nameless, who told all their companies to withdraw and get out first, which is irresponsible, um, you got a bank run. Well, now, now the, the uh-oh is bigger than the buffer and everybody wants their money back. So you're creating more uh-oh because you're having to realize more losses. And so we're sowing the seeds of our own demise by collective, by collective panic. And if you go to, and we've talked about this you know, many times, the Knickerbocker Trust debacle, in, in 1907, we are reliving this, right? This is what's happening. This is exactly what's happening. And that's what Silvergate was all about, is J.P. Morgan famously quipped, the, the man, not the bank, the, the man, famously quipped, I like a little competition. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't like a lot of competition. I, I like a little competition. Yeah. So when Knickerbocker Trust got too big, what did he do? He fomented panic by spreading a rumor that they were insolvent. And you saw, see, go to Wikipedia, go to Wikipedia, type in 1907 Knickerbocker Trust, and you will see a picture of in, men in their top hats and, and coats and ties and women in, in their dresses running to the bank with their umbrellas because it was raining that day, uh, trying to withdraw their money. That was a bank run. And Banking works great 99% of the time, but bank runs are lethal. Now, They're tough. I believe, you know, you're not supposed to predict the future, you know, predicting the future, you know, making predictions is hard, especially about the future, to quote Yogi Berra. <laughs> um, 
But I'm going to I'm going to say on Sunday, so every Sunday, every Sunday, the Council on Economic Stability meets. The Council oh, on Economic Stability has six members. Uh, it's the Secretary of the Treasury, the head of the Fed, uh, and the head of the four largest banks. So JP Morgan, uh, Citi, uh, Goldman, and I think it's I think it's Morgan Stanley, not Wells Fargo, but it doesn't really matter. So six right. six guys. Um, I think it's all guys. Uh, yep. They meet every Sunday. And uh, my guess is this Sunday, the, during their meeting, they will determine that there needs to be a bailout or a merger. So, you know, that's what I'm going to get. I'm going I'm to predict that. Yeah, I think, uh, well, you already probably saw this, but you saw Bill Ackman, I think last night tweeted something about something to the extent here I can actually find the tweet instead of trying to guess at this. But Bill Ackman tweeted about this and he said, which I didn't, you know, the failure of SVB uh, of Silicon Valley Bank would destroy an important long-term driver of the economy as VC-backed companies rely on SVB for loans and holding their operating cash at private capital can't provide a solution. A highly dilutive government-preferred bailout should be considered. And by the way, just at the time of recording here, so Silicon Valley Bank, I think they fell 60% yesterday to 106. We're looking at this. This is pre-market. Uh, so what time is it now? It's 840. And it looks like they're trading pre-market down another 45%. Mm-hmm. So that's that's their buffer, you know, kind of disappearing in real time. So that's that's what kind of makes these things very tricky. Yeah. So I mean I it's it, it's it's gonna happen. And look, <laughs> you know, Bill happens to be besties with one of the members of the Council on Economic Stability. Mm. So <laughs> Bill, he might uh, have some he might have some some knowledge of what's going to happen this weekend. Yeah. Well, the the other so Silicon Valley Bank's stock price is obviously getting dinged up here, but I think the thing to call out yesterday was even the bulge like Bank of America was trading down 6%. JP Morgan was trading down 6%. Let's see, we can probably see what they're Eh, they're pre-market today. It looks pretty unchanged, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I want to, I want to connect something. I want to connect something here. We had James Davolos on this show about two months ago, month and a half ago. And I want to connect something that he said. So he was talking about, he gave kind of an anecdote and it's not the anecdote that's flying on Twitter right now, but he had a friend that went to a real estate conference, right? And I think it was Mm -hmm. multifamily. And basically everyone was running around like a chicken with their head cut off and trying to secure one-year financing. And the stress, the reason why they were trying to secure this short-term financing was this, it's the same reason that banks are suffering right now. The real estate funds had to buy a bunch of what they thought at the time were safe and liquid assets in the form of real estate when mortgage rates were at not only generational lows, but I think all-time all all-time all time lows. 500-year lows. All-time 500-year lows. So they are in the same position as banks here. And if they secured short-term financing because they were expecting a pivot, which is what he which is what he said, the thing that happened this week is that Powell got up and talked and he said it's going to be higher for longer. We will adjust and raise rates if that is what is needed. And the expectation of a 50 basis point hike in March went from like 30% to 80%, the terminal rates at 5.8%. So basically, anyone that had to buy a large portfolio of fixed income securities 
and at very very low rates they are they are in trouble right now now the yeah. the, the the point i'm leading all of this up is to say look I, i'm not smart enough to be like there's probably stress in some of these smaller regional banks there's probably a lot of stress in the the broader kind of shadow banking sector my question to you is when it comes to inflation, there was always going to be two things that was going to stop the Fed, right? This is what people talked about. It's either going to be all of their little metrics that they take a look at, you know, core X shelter or whatever the, you know, the new metric du jour is. When all of that starts to head in the right direction, that's when they'll stop with the rate hikes and then eventually pivot and start easing or if something breaks. And it's too early, I think, to, to, to say that this is what that is. That being yep. said... I think if SVB were to go down, it would be the second largest failure in U.S. banking history. So my question to you is, is this the beginning signs of something breaking? For sure. Oh, 100%. And, and to your point, we, we've also seen other signs in, in that real estate space with the largest trusts, the largest REITs um, having to shut right, and mm. not allow withdrawals. So the difference between a bank, right, and a private REIT is a bank can't say, I mean, well, actually they can't. They can shut their doors, right? They can literally lock the doors. Then you're out of business, right? The next day you're, you're out of business. And then you go into receivership and, and eventually uh, get taken over. So certainly possible. And, and there were rumors that Silicon Valley Bank was, was kind of doing that you know, late mm -hmm. yesterday. Saying, well, you know, your deposits are—I mean, your withdrawals are, are are pending. Kind of what happens when crypto exchanges said, "Well, our systems are down." I know. It's, it's, you know, it's magic. I, Can't your systems down? So, you know, BlackRock's largest uh, Blackstone—I guess Blackstone and BlackRock too—but uh, one of the, one of the blacks, the B reit, um, mm, basically said, hey, "Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't take your money out." Um, and it's because of this asset liability mismatch. And look, there are there are plenty of things that are that have broken. But the the thing that I think is is interesting is that period of of all time low interest rates created lots of capital misallocation. Right, uh, yeah. people doing dumb stuff with capital. Right. And, and, and what I believe Powell believes, and, and I, I, I'd actually kind of agree with him, kind mm -hmm. of, is cleansing that is necessary. And therefore, I'm going to turn up the notch. Uh, on, on, I'm going to ratchet up rates. And I, I'm, I'm going to let the over-levered real estate speculator go under. I'm going to let the poorly run banks go under because they'll just get absorbed by the big good banks, you know, that I'm friendly with. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not okay. Well, actually, I'm okay with it. You know, I believe they should have done this a long time ago, right? They shouldn't have kept rates at zero forever. But there, there was a reason they did. So in the global financial crisis, the banks were done. Yeah. People should have right. gone to jail. I mean, there was bad stuff, but no one went to jail and the big banks were bailed out. 
$700 billion of money from the taxpayers went to these bad executives. And then they got to pay bonuses later, which is just crazy. That's, but I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. But, that scarred a whole generation, by the way. Of course I, it did. And should. Yeah. The, the, the implications of that is seared into every like millennial Gen Z, like just saying a lot of damage was done. It's like depression babies. No, trust. no, it is. It is. It's like depression babies, right? Yeah. And, and, and that, that is fair, but, but they did it. Okay. And, and so because of that, they took interest rates to zero. Well, why did they do that? Well, because you'd wiped out the gold in the chart, right? Green is assets, red is liabilities. Yep. Gold is gone. Okay. The uh-oh, very big. But as long as we don't realize it, it's not bad. So the gold is gone. So how do we get the gold back up? You lower interest rates. You make the value you, of the assets You take go interest up. rates at zero and you say, come to me, my friend. <laughs> I will lend you money at zero. Yeah. And because I have this, this debt addiction problem, I need you to buy bonds. And I need you to buy lots of them. But if you borrow from me at zero and buy a 2% bond, lever it up 12 times, you make a lot of money. And so slowly but surely, the gold crept back up. So it was about fixing the balance sheet of the banks. And so over the 13-year period, the gold got built back up. So then it's like, okay, now we're good. Well, now I'm tired of not making any money because I can't you know, lend high. So, hey, Jerome, could, could you hike rates for me? And then I can pay my depositors still less because rates are sticky lower on deposits, right? They don't go from zero to three or four. They go from zero to half to one. Right. They eventually creep up, but but there's but you can start lending at the higher rates like the day right. that it changes. So now the NIMS expanded. So if I can pay my depositors one and I can lend at five, oh my gosh, I'm making four percent. <laughs> awesome. So now the last year has been about bank income statements. And if you look since October of last year, bank stocks up 50, 60, 70%. I mean, they were cruising. They were like gross stocks. Like, what the frick? What the hell's going on? It's all about the money. Well, now you got this problem where mm -hmm. they they said, we need to, we need to stop this crypto thing. We need to stop this crypto thing. How do we do that? These banks, these banks that are, you know, they're helping people convert fiat to crypto. We need to get rid of them. Okay. I should say lenders. There are these lenders. Okay. So Celsius, you're gone. Voyager, you're gone. BlockFi, you're gone. Wait a second. Thought we fixed the problem. No, there are these, these real banks that are they're helping people convert fiat to crypto. We need to shut them down. Okay. But what they forgot, okay, law of unintended consequences. Yes, Signature Bank had a large crypto business, but a gigantic portion of their deposits have nothing to do with crypto. They were a regular bank before. So now those people are freaking out. 
Cause like, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa right. my, the stock price is going down. I'm got, I got to get my money out. So you foment a bank run. Well, some of those people happen to be entrepreneurs. And then they I talk know. to other entrepreneurs and yeah. they go, I'm a Silicon Valley bank. And there was a, there was a great piece and I wish I had seen it. Um, uh, that this guy did on January 23rd. And I, I wish I could give him credit, but I can't remember his name, but it's, it's a long thread on Twitter. And he went line by line through this problem at Silicon Valley bank and said, look, if this, and he didn't say if the signature bank thing goes, but he says, if this banking panic increases, these guys are toast. And he said, look, I'm short. So I'm just telling Keep you those, why. Yeah. So, um, okay. but it was an amazing analysis. And so, so now what we need is a TBF, TBTF moment, too big to fail. And I think that happens on Sunday. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. You know, you know, it's, I'm just so of two minds about this because I agree with you. And I, I can honestly say if I was in the position of these bankers and regulators, I, I'd like to think that I wouldn't pay myself a big bonus, but I do understand how it played out the way that it did. I yeah. understand the counterfactual might've happened. And I cannot honestly say that I would do anything different, but I can also look at the current system and say, this is a gigantic problem. And that. I don't I don't really have a great way of solving it. The the thing that I find myself thinking about a lot when it comes to this is you 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 said you said something I want to dig into which is we got a zero interest rate environment. Okay, we understand that. They did that was done to repair the bank's balance sheet. But it created all these bad incentives, right? It created it cre- all mm-hmm. this all this stuff that we're that we're currently working through. And maybe Jay Powell just wants to get rid of that. Right. Hey, let's take our medicine. Can we take our medicine at this point? Can we? Is it is it too far gone? Is it too painful? There was probably a point in the past. And by the way, on this show, we've explored where exactly was that point. Some people go back to long term capital management. Right. That that shouldn't have been done, even though that wasn't with, you know, the company piggy bank. That was actually the the New York Fed strongly encouraged the other banks to bail them out. Uh, some people point to 2001. Some people point to the great financial crisis, whatever whatever it is. Everyone's got a different moment when it's just too much. And the thing that I think about is, look, we've got this gigantic pile of debt. And I know, you know, Jerome Powell, one of the interesting things, Jim Bianco pointed it out, but someone was asking him about this. Jerome Powell specifically said, I do not take into account interest rates when enacting monetary policy. That would be yeah. something called fiscal dominance. We are, we are monetary. The treasury is fiscal. But- yeah. Doesn't it have? Doesn't he have to at some point? I get that he has a different, different mandate, and he can't say this in public. But at a certain point, dollars are dollars, right? And if the the, the interest rate payments on our debt is too high, 
and it's moving in the wrong direction. The debt is growing faster than the GDP. It gets mm-hmm. worse every single year. Oh, of course. No, no, no. no. I, yeah. Now you're so, talking. Now you're talking logic, Michael. Michael, like flag down, <laughs> flag down. Yeah. No logical analysis during you know uh, crazy debt spiral. You know discussions. So the 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 question that I want to put to you, and maybe this is a dumb question, but I can kind of see two ways here. There's uh there's the world can end in fire or it can end in ice, and the ice is. Mm-hmm. We're raising interest rates. Everyone's going to take their medicine. There are going to be these panics, yeah. something that looks like a very deep, very tough recession, and everyone just takes their medicine. But then there's fire, and fire is the debt is too high, the amount of uh, you know fragility, and we, we just can't risk it. Can't risk it, right? Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're just going to inflate this debt away. We're going to keep interest rates low. We're going to let inflation burn yep. hot. And there's going to be a whole bunch of negative consequences on a societal level from doing that, yep. but that's preferable to the risk of the other side. Yeah. Do you no, see the world well, divided it, like no. that or no? Well, no, it's, it's, it's again, great analysis. And, and it's true, right? It is fire and ice and it always has been, um, but it's cyclical, right? There are times when fire is better and there are times when, when ice, ice or preferred, I shouldn't say better, preferred. Um, but I, I, my phone just blew up. So as, as we're sitting here at 8, you know, 54 mm-hmm. uh, on, on Friday, uh, Silicon Valley Bank stock was just halted for news yeah. pending. So they might not wait till Sunday night. Um, CNBC is is hyping the story, saying it's very positive, very positive development, very positive development. Um, so my guess is uh, probably JP Morgan, but we'll see. Um, I want to talk about one thing that it's funny. I snapped this picture last night and... Um, so I'll give a little backstory, which is it's just kind of funny. No, it's, it's actually not funny. So um, I think I said on the show a couple weeks ago that I made a dumb personal move 10 years ago ARM. for a ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage. And I forgot about it. I mean, I literally forgot about it. And But my interest rate for 10 years was 3.75 or whatever. Um, and make a long story short, uh, it went up. I got this letter saying your interest rate is going to be 7.75. I'm like, the shit it is. I'll just refinance. Bank of America, turns out, they don't like business owners. They like mm. people who have a W-2. And they made my life miserable for the last two weeks. And I finally got to the point of saying, you know what? Nope. I will go elsewhere. I will take my business to a place that cares about business owners and understands business owners. <laughs> and I was going to call Silicon Valley Bank, right? Um, yeah. But now, now I'm not. Um, so, but there are other banks out there. And, uh, but it's funny last night because, you know, my wife's yelling at me because, you know, she manages the, the, the bills and stuff. Uh, she says, you know, what am I going to do? And I, well, we're going to pay a higher mortgage payment this month and it's not the end of the world. You know, Yes. Couple thousand dollars is a lot of money, but you know, not gonna not gonna kill us. But I, I took this picture from Bitcoin Magazine, the back cover of Bitcoin Magazine, <laughs> and it says, uh, "Pay all your bills with Bitcoin. Leave your bank for Bitcoin from BitRefill." This is not impossible. This trend is not impossible. And yes, Bitcoin is struggling today and this week, and it's down you know, 20% from its high a couple weeks ago. 
because people are afraid and because people are liquidating because of the, the Silvergate thing. But we can be our own bank. We mm. can be self-sovereign. And maybe not for everything. Not for everything, but... But but I can I can probably have a bit refill account that or functionality that allows me to to pay those bills that I now use Bank of America bill pay. Because that was the thing. So my wife's like, no, we we cannot leave because I do not want to set reset up all the stuff I set up over the last 10 years. You know, that would be a pain in the ass. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Um, so we can have a little account in Bank of America and we'll move the rest of the money elsewhere. But this, this is, is a trend. Well, that's my dog, but, um, <laughs> anyway. I, uh, all right. So I want to, the, the thing that happened also this week that Silicon, uh, no one wanted to see, right. There was a, there was a payroll number that was coming out. So we're recording this again. It's, it's uh, 9 AM. So payroll came out 30 minutes ago. And the expected number was 205. It came in at 311. And nobody wanted to see that because the payroll is supposed to be indicative of, right, when when Chair Powell talked earlier this week, he's paying attention to certain data. You and I have been talking a lot about how the labor market is right in the crosshairs of the Fed. They want to see more unemployment that will tell them that the economy is not overheating. It has been a stubbornly persistent labor market. And that puts the Fed in a real bind because they've got, finally, they've got signs of stress in the credit market. They've got a couple of banks, one that has failed and one that is, it's not looking good. And they're kind they could find themselves, frankly, in a position that the UK government found themselves in. When was that? It was probably November of, of last year yeah. when the yeah, guilt yeah. market, which is their bond market, yep. started to implode. Yep. After Liz Truss revealed her ill-fated economic plan, and even though they had raging inflation, what did they do? They went around, turned around, and bought a whole bunch of bonds because you can't let your can't let your your bond market fail. No, and, you can't. And and look, you know what's interesting that that number um, should right if you, if you just go through all the math that we were talking about, futures should be collapsing straight up. Um, not only 75 basis points, but, but still, so something in that number, somebody must have, have said, it's really not that bad. And maybe they, I don't know if they, did they adjust the previous month down or something, but it's interesting that on a 200,000 expectation, a 300,000 number, it, it should be tanking because that should be more fuel to say it's definitely 50 basis points or more, uh, coming uh, on the twentieth, but it's an interesting reaction from the market. I'm not a trader, right? I'm not a trader. I don't understand these reactions, and I'm not going to pretend to say that I have any in- edge or insight there. But I do think because it's where my mind went, and I bet it's probably where some other people's mind went as well. Which is, look, if the economy, if something ends up breaking in a really big way, that was also going to be the thing that caused the Fed to switch mm-hmm. from tightening to easing. And this is this really weird, perverse, nonsensical thing that happens now, which is bad news is good news. Bad so, news is good news. Yeah, yeah. We've all been we've yeah. all been dreading the good news, right? We got a strong labor market, strong retail sales. That's bad news for for the <laughs> stock market. But this bad news could theoretically end up being good news for stocks. I, I doubt it will be, to be honest. But I, that could yeah. be a reason why futures haven't reacted because I think people might. This might be the uh, 
the ceiling for what the Fed can do in yeah. terms of interest yeah. rates. And look, I, I, I said, I, my guess is um, there's a big announcement pending uh, on, on Silicon Valley Bank. Um, look, Silvergate Bank, as painful it is for all of us in the crypto industry, it's just not a big deal. Hmm. I mean, I hate to say that, but there's a $16 billion market cap bank. Um, just, you know, I said JP Morgan lost more than that yesterday. Yeah. On yeah. a 500, you know, billion dollar market cap. So it's Silicon Valley Bank matters, right? It was a, um, it was a, actually it was about the same size, right? It was about a $16 billion market cap. So yes, it's, it's, but it's too big to fail because it, as Ackman said, is at the heart of, you know, our startup culture. Whereas, you know, crypto is the enemy, public enemy number one. And, you know, it's interesting. If you go back in, in history, because uh, I know you're you're a student of history, and you look at these these waves of of regulatory crackdown. Yep, right? it's always against the perception of these 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 bad actors, right? Well, all they are is disruptors, right? Mm. Because every uh, custom begins with broken precedent you know, from Will Durant. And what we accept is customary and common knowledge today in the beginning was broken precedent and anathema to everybody. And, and I think that's, that's where we are in this cycle. Um, but it's the knock-on effects and the unintended consequences and the human reaction that, that, I think the regulators always seem to miss, right? They they seem hmm. to miss that. Well, yeah, you can you can squash, you know, competitors to telecom uh, back in the internet days, but then you create, you know, an eighty four percent decline in Nasdaq and a massive sell off in the rest of the stock market and a huge recession, and it took literally a war, right? It took us going to war in 2003 to fix it. So that's what worries me. I, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that <laughs> is like, a, that's the core when, you know, Mike feels anxious. That's what I'm worrying about deeply. I, I hate, I know how that's, that's how people think. And that's what concerns me, frankly. Well, but why do you think there's a war going on right now? Right. I, yeah. I don't know. It's beyond. That's how I, you fix that. That's that. Look, what was what was the siren call all last year? Recessions coming, recessions coming, recessions coming. First quarter, second quarter. When did Ukraine happen? After that. After that. I yeah. See, I'm not probably a coincidence. Enough to know. Probably <laughs> it a could coincidence. be. It could be. Probably. But that that is that that does concern me. the The last thing that I want to you know I know we've got uh, just a couple minutes here, but there were. Uh, maybe it's beyond. We can chat about it if it ends up becoming a thing. But I saw there was a there was a complaint from the New York Attorney General about KuCoin uh, listing securities uh, and Ethereum. Ether was listed yeah. as a as a potential yeah. security. There's also, by the way, we haven't talked at all about the the leaked Biden administration new tax proposal. But 
I'm not sure how seriously to take a lot of this stuff, but there was, I think there was something in there about crypto. There were a couple of things that impacted crypto. There was- No, of course. There was the increased taxation of energy spent, uh, 30% tax on energy spent to mine Bitcoin, which essentially yeah. makes it uneconomically viable to, to mine True. in the US. There was one. There was one thing that was proposed, which is like the anti-wash trading. Basically, you can't. You know, if you have a security like a stock, you can't sell it and then immediately buy back in and just harvest those mm-hmm. tax. You can't do that. That feels fair. They're make. They're proposing making that change in crypto. But I've, that actually, frankly, feels not too unfair yeah. to me. Yeah. The other thirty thing days. Thirty days. Yeah. 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 The other thing that they're talking about doing is raising capital gains tax from. They already raised it, right? I think they yeah. they raised it to twenty two, and now they're talking about yeah. raising it to thirty nine. So that that one is going to be unpopular. I highly doubt that ends up working. But taxing income and wealth creation is stupid. Mm. Always has been. Look, the income tax was supposed to be a temporary tax to finance the war, the Spanish-American War. That was a long ass time ago. Okay, temporary became permanent. You're not supposed to tax income. You're not supposed to tax wealth creation. Capital gains should be encouraged, hmm. should be celebrated, right? Putting capital at work, putting capital at risk should be celebrated, not taxed. Hmm. It's it just, anyway, I, I could rant on this this all day, but we don't have time. Um, ultimately, the KuCoin thing, uh, the, the direction, you know, GG, Gangster Gary, and... Uh, uh, the rest of of the you know the people who are out to get crypto has been going all along is you know Bitcoin's not a security and everything else is okay yeah. and that that's what this is about now the good news is the AG doesn't get to decree anything they can they can claim they can accuse but at the end of the day some judge has to rule now can you buy off judges yeah we we, we know how that works uh, judges get appointed based on you know, how they're going to rule. And we've all watched, you know, billions and how judges get reassigned and who pays what. But so I do, I do worry about that, but you know, ultimately um, it's a very slippery slope, right? You got people saying, well, now NFTs are securities. Are you joking? Are are Pokemon cards securities? (laughs) Is, is, Is that thing a security? I bought that from a guy, right? I paid him money for it. It's a piece of art. It, it, is that a security? No, it's not. But you're going down this path of of trying to you know power grab everything under the auspices of of this one three letter organization. I, you know, it, it will it will end badly as it always does. Over, government overreach has never ended well. Um, you know, central to the United States, healthy mistrust of government. I actually, I see the value in government. I'm not one of these anarchists that says- oh, government's important. I, I'm with you. I just think, I just think, look, these challenges are are healthy. It's healthy to point out when there has been overreach and just call it out. But unfortunately, that's that's all the time that we've got here, Mark. So this was, uh, I don't want to call it a, a fun one necessarily. Based nah, on the, it was uh, good. The, it was good. The, yeah. only, the only thing is, I, you know, again, we color coordinate with the gray, but you know, me staring at Terra. I didn't point this out, by I'm the like, way, but yeah. I got, dude, I got you're, the you're, making me, you're making me twitchy, right? I mean. <laughs> I had to wear that, it today. I had to my, rock it. My, my 59th birthday a year ago, May 9th, was, was not a good day because, you know, Luna came to Terra. And uh, this whole shitstorm started with Three Arrows Capital 
and eventually FTX and, and all that nonsense. So yeah, you give me you know, PTSD staring at Terra. So I appreciate that. It's, it felt, it felt right to wear it today, but knock on wood, hopefully it's not going to be as bad this time and it's spread out across the economy. So Mark, this has been a ton of fun. See you here at the same time next week. Cheers. Same time next week. 